Today in our series in Exodus, we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 20, one of the most well-known passages in the Word of God. It's called the Ten Commandments. Familiar in all of history throughout the whole world. The basis of a society, the base, basis of our Christian faith, who God is, and yet I wonder if we get the point of what the Ten Commandments really is about. Let me get right to the point. The Ten Commandments is about relationships. You say, what? Relationships. It is about relationships. God is establishing his relationship with his people. It's God who looked on the despair and the need of his people in Egypt. They were being persecuted, being abused, being beaten. And God looked at their state, and he did something about it. It's God who took Moses and sent him to Egypt. He preserved Moses when he was a little boy, raised him up to teach him of who he is, what his own heritage was, and he struggled to find out God's purpose for him, but God had a purpose all along. Moses tried to fulfill that purpose in his own strength, and he failed. He murdered a man, and he was in exile for 40 years from Egypt. But it's God who took Moses and met with Moses on that mountainside, with that event we call the burning bush. He called Moses to himself and he sent Moses again to his people in Egypt to deliver them. He is sending his rescuer to deliver his people that his people might have relationship with him. He pulls his people out of slavery in Egypt and draws them now in preparation for the promised land and he is building a relationship with him. Remember in chapter 19, we looked at last week, and it says here, verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. God is saying, I'm going to establish a unique and special relationship with you. I've had this in mind all along. I went and I rescued you and I brought you now. I'm bringing you to myself so that we can have this relationship. He said, now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my special people. We will have this unique relationship, and I will be your God. 
The people liked these words as Moses presented to them. And they said yes to them. God is establishing his relationship. One of the biggest problem we have today is the problem of right relationships. Did you know that? We suffer from a relationship deficit. We don't know how to have right relationships. The major problem that we have in our families, in our communities as a whole, is one of relationships. In our culture, we kind of think that relationships are built if I let you do your thing and I do, you let me do my thing. But that's not how God built it at all. God actually put requirements and defined what this relationship would be. And in fact, if we notice, God defined all relationships. He's the creator of mankind. He defines what that relationship should be. He defines what the relationship would be with human beings and himself, and he defines what right relationships should exist between human beings and human beings. So he speaks to his people, and he starts off with, look, this is how I intend you to be connected and related to me. Notice the relationship terms he used. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, he's saying, I'm not a stranger to you. I made myself known to you by rescuing you. And I'm calling you into a relationship that's not foreign, that's not odd, that's not weird. You know who I am. I have made myself known. In other words, he's saying, look, relationships are established when we have trust that's been built over faithfulness. God is saying, I have faithfully redeemed my people and showed this to them. Remember in chapter 19? Verse 4, we just remember, we just read, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. In other words, God has earned over and over again the trust of his people by his mighty works, by his very character. God is not calling them into relationship with somebody they don't know and can't trust. He says, you know me, you've seen me, and now you know me to be reliable and trustworthy. Now come into relationship with me. You see how that speaks about relationships? Today we want these casual relationships. Man sees woman in the club and says, hey, baby, why don't you spend the night with me? Based on what? Well, I think you look good. You think I look good? Let's hang out. Really? That's it? You mean this is just a one-night thing and you got no tie to me, I got no tie to you? Yeah, that's, the, that's cool. That's the way we want it. See, God doesn't do things that way. He says, I have committed myself to you and I've shown that to you. Therefore, I demand of you this relationship. He says, if you will, 
chapter 19, verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. What I love about this in, 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 in Exodus chapter 20, it's a defined relationship. I've counseled um, men and women. I don't know if I could say I probably counsel women more than men because men don't want to listen. They, they don't even want to come into counseling with me. You know, even husbands, like the wife will say, well, pastor, we need some help. I said, well, go, go talk to your husband and see. He, he don't want to come. He don't want nobody telling him what to do. In other words, what it is is our rebellion, we want to define our own relationship. In other words, that pastor don't tell me how I should treat my wife. It's not the pastor telling you that. It's God. I'm just a voice. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a mouthpiece. But we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear what God says. God has defined our relationship. You know, back in Genesis, God says, I've created man. I've created a male and female. Today, we don't even want to hear that. We don't want to listen to that. We don't want to listen. God says, this is the basis of relationship. I've made it this way. He said, no, I got a better idea. I don't want to do it that way. He has defined relationship. We get into trouble. Let me speak to men, first of all. Men, we get into trouble when we want to have undefined relationships. I always think it's odd. When I'm introduced to by a person, to this person that he has relationship with, but he doesn't know how to introduce her to me. You know what I mean? Uh, Pastor, this is my... Um, um, it's not his wife. This is my uh, girl. This is my woman. This is my... He, he, it's, look, it's not even defined. Who is she to you? And who are you to her? It's un we get in trouble when we have undefined relationships. God says, here is the relationship I'm establishing with my people. You know who I am. You know what I've done. And I've committed myself to you. And I call you to commit yourself to me. It ain't like, hey, you can do what you want. You know, that's cool with me. No. He says, this is the structure of our relationship. Who am I? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's why later on he says, don't take my name in vain. Know and respect who I am. I have established myself. I am the creator of all things. I'm the God of the universe. Egypt didn't know me as the mighty God, but I showed myself to them. I'm supreme. I'm not like any other one. I am unique, and I am the almighty, and I'm calling you into relationship with me. Notice the, I said this before, notice the relationship language. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Exclusive. Exclusive. I demand to be your one and only. Later on, it says God is a jealous God. Isn't that relationship language? We understand jealousy because we understand it in relationship. 
You belong to me. I belong to you. You belong to me alone. Not me and other dude over there. It's exclusive. You should have no other gods before me. This relationship is exclusive. It is defined, and it is defined by God. Today, we want to define all our own relationships. We want to define them ourselves. And God is having nothing to do with it. He's not okaying that. He's not looking the other way at that. He is established. And like I said, this is really about relationship. Verse, verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, am the, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I think that word jealous means just what we think it means. God wants you to himself. He sees you as his own and nobody else's. God wants that exclusive relationship with you. When he's jealous, when he says jealous, he means that he is zealously desiring this one-on-one commitment with you. And he will guard it. He doesn't want anything else distracting from that. He doesn't want your devotion divided with anything or anyone else. He says, that's why, he says, know me for who I am. Don't make me up to be some other image that you've created or something else. Because your heart goes towards that thing instead of the real thing. That's me. You have relationship with me, not anything else. It's, it's interesting when he says this. He says, I'm, jealous, I'm a jealous God. In other words, I will guard what is mine. I want to be mine, and I will not share it with anyone else. God later on in his words says this in terms of his glory uh, and who he is. He says, I won't share my glory with anyone else. In other words, there's nobody else on my level, and I demand it that way. In other words, that's the way it is. There is nobody else on my level. I demand that you treat it that way. Verse 7, oh, before I move on to that, he says, I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. We wonder, um, why does he say that? He says, look, the sin is going to affect other generations. That one sin that you do carries on. That's just the nature of sin. That's the way God created this world. Sin, is, it, it takes root and it affects other generations. I'm trying to grow some good grass in my house, on my lawn. And I find that it's not just a one-season thing. <laughs> If I don't get good grass this year, what can I expect next year? The old grass just grows back up. It's like from generation to generation to generation. I got to work really hard to get it right. And we might think that'd be 
real cruel or harsh of God to, to say that. But that's the way sin is. But, but keep this in mind. The next part really shows God's graciousness. He says, yeah, I send sin from one generation to the other. That's the way I've made things. He says, but showing, verse 6, but showing steadfast love to thousands. Some, some uh, uh, translations say really thousands of generations. In other words, sin can follow three or four generations, but God's grace follows thousands. Isn't that how good God is? That's how great he is. He says, look, when you obey me, when you love me, when you trust me, when you connect, when you're in relationship with me, you are impacted as well as those under you and under them and under them and under them and under them. And it continues and continues. In other words, goodness outdoes wickedness and sin because of God's grace. I was reading a passage this week, and you're familiar with it, in Genesis chapter 6. It's about, talk about Noah's day, how wicked that generation was. God was, was sorry that he had made man because of the depth of their sin. It, it uses this kind of terminology that, that they did and they thought only evil continually. That's how extreme there was. But then at the end of that statement is this huge statement. It's simple, but it's huge. It says, but, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, God was pleased with Noah. In the midst of all this sin, it was so perverse that God says, I'm going to wipe it out and start all over. God saw Noah, and he, it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of this great judgment that God was going to bring about, he sustained a family that sustained the world. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God says, keep in mind, sin will follow you in your generation, but my grace and my goodness will multiply to thousands. What a blessing. Thank you, Lord, that your goodness doesn't just impact my mom and dad. It impacted me. Not just me, but my children and their children. And it keeps on going. It keeps on growing. Thank God. He says, because of this relationship, be careful how you think of me and address me. God demands to be upheld and respected because he is who he is. He knows who he is. He demands that we treat him with respect that way. Our relationships are built when we have a proper respect for each other. God has certainly earned that respect like none other has. But relationships are built when we have that kind of respect. When couples start to call each other out of their name, there's trouble. We need to correct that. We need to stop that with ourselves and say, no, look, look, I, I am going to address you in this way. You are created by God in his image. You are unique and special to him and loved by him, and therefore I will respect you that way. And I'll demand that kind of respect for myself as well. He says, we have this relationship, so take some time to sustain it and worship me. He says, remember the Sabbath. Take time to commit in a practical, continual, visual way that I am who I am. 
In other words, don't just go on thinking that you're worshiping me in your mind. Practice it in your daily, weekly routine and habit. He says the Sabbath is here. You to take some rest and remember me as your creator and my relationship. Take time to acknowledge me on a practical, everyday, continual basis. You know, people don't often say it to me because they know what I'm thinking. You know, I'll be sharp on them. But they want to say, Pastor, why is church that important? I ain't got to go all the time. I, I, I see that, that attitude in us. And God says, look, every week on a regular, continual basis, every phase, I want you to take time out and spend time worshiping me and finding rest in me. And he set that pattern for us. So he established how relationship would be between he, himself and man, his people, Israel. And then he established how relationships should be among themselves. It's about relationships. He says, here's how you ought to think of and treat each other. He started off, here's how you think of and treat me. Here's how you think of and treat each other. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother. Verse 13, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. Verse 14, verse 15, you should not steal. Verse 16, don't lie to each other. Verse 17, stop coveting, wanting what your neighbor has for your own. So you can see it, it's our connection with each other or, 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 or how we treat each other, specifically how Israel was to treat each other, but it comes down to God to man and man to man interaction, relationships, what type of relationships we're to have. I was reading um, this week some passages that talked about the last days. I think 2 Timothy is one of them. Other passages talk about the wickedness and the sin that would be around in the earth. Romans 1 is another one of them. Um, and it all speaks of the violation of these things, relationship with God and relationship or interaction with each other. Men and women, in other words, human beings would no longer have respect for their mom and dad. There will be murder. There will be sexual sin of adultery and other sins. Stealing, lying, taking what's not ours, desiring what's not ours for ourselves. That's what the word covet means. And so we can see that, 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 again, that relationship on a person-to-person -person basis. God has saved the people. He's calling them to himself, and he defines the setting and relationship that he wants with them. 
And you'll notice later on in this book of Exodus, it's interesting how it's made. We're going to go through a lot of the other laws that, that um, God had for Israel, and, and he, he, um, he defines them, tells them what they should be like. Then he gives them instruction for how to worship and, 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 and the specific instructions for building the different things that were going to be elements of that worship. Um, and so he's, he's established in this relationship with them, right? So kind of you, as you look through Exodus, I'm saying this because we're going to categorize some of these and, 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 and we won't look at every detail of it, but we need to know what the Word of God is saying and, and what we need to get out of it. But what you're going to notice when you get to uh, Exodus 32, something unique happens. I believe it's 32, isn't it? Yes, it's... Um, if you look at the heading, it's called the golden calf, right? Everybody remember that passage in Exodus 32. So God is establishing his relationship with him. He says, I want you to love me, obey me. Remember one of the first guidelines he gave to them on this relationship? I'm God. There's no other God like me. Don't worship or serve anyone else. And one of the first things they do is they begin to establish a, 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 a statue, a, 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 a false god, a calf of all things, and they're going to bow down and worship this calf. So here's the thing. God has established how our relationship should be, and it's, it, it, it's, it's like if you, if you read through there, before this is written on stone, and Moses brings it down from the mountain. Before it can even get down to the mountain, they have violated it already. And I know we look at it and we shake our heads at it, right? But that's a picture of us. That's a picture of us. We have violated God's law and all that God has established. That's how sinful that we are. But you notice as we go through Exodus that God reconfirms his covenant with his people. God is saying, I haven't changed who I am and what I require, but you can't keep it. Not in your own power. You don't have the power to live in obedience to me. Notice what he says is true in, in chapter 19. He says, hey, if you will obey me. If you will do what I've asked you to do, I will be your God and you will be my people. But he's saying, you can't. You can't. God wants us to know that we are not able within ourselves to worship God and to come to him. He has to do something for us. He has to change that very nature in us. He has to, he has to give us of himself. The Holy Spirit has to be living within us that gives us the power. Just knowing God's requirement is not enough. There has to be a change within you. God is gracious and he, he provides that and he draws us into relationship with him. He's a gracious, loving, and forgiving God. And so he wants that relationship with his people and he's working to do that. Even though we're not worthy of that. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. It's one of the, the, the words that the, uh, one of the psalmists wrote, or one, of the, uh, one who wrote the hymns wrote that. And that's just where we are. We are prone to sin against a holy God who has every right to command us 
to be in right relationship with him. So God establishes this. He shows us what what this is like. I want want you to see um, how practical God is as, as we go. I think chapter 20, verse 22, goes into another section where he begins to get more specific about the laws. But since that's in the chapter we're looking at today, I just want to take a look at it. We already covered how the people reacted to God when they saw the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. They trembled. That's in verse 18 on through verse 21. But notice something there. They trembled and they said, Moses, don't, don't let God speak to us anymore. You speak in his, you speak for him. Because if he talks to us, we're going to die. But it says this, verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that, you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So the people stood far off while Moses drew near. See the contrast? God had relationship with Moses where he could come into his presence and he was welcomed into that presence. It was not a dreadful thing for him. He had respect for God, what we call a fear for God, but it was not a dreadful thing for him to come and be connected with God. I believe Moses is a picture of what God wants with us today. Israel, the nation of Israel, is a picture of a rebellious, sinful people Moses is that picture of this relationship that God uh, wants with us. God wants you and me to be committed to him, to give ourselves to him. So I want to look at verse 22 to the end of the chapter and just close there. So the Lord said to Moses, thus shall you say to the people, you have seen for yourselves that I've talked with you from heaven you should not make gods of silver to be with me, or, nor should you make yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. Now, that's interesting. He says, an altar made of what? What? Earth. What is that? Dirt. Dirt. God is saying, don't get fancy with me. Don't build all these fancy structures elaborately made. Come to me simply. Come to me simply. Worship me, he says, make altar of dirt. Isn't that that interesting? God could have chosen, and we'll see later on some of the the ways he, he, he instructed the tabernacle to be made, but I think he's making a message here. Don't put on any false pretense with me. I know who you are. Come to me. Simple, plain. He also says, verse 25, If you make an altar of stone, you should not build it of hewn stone. What does that mean? Don't get a chisel. Chisel it up and make it a great artwork. 
He says, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. Again, this idea, you can't make things better by your action in terms of coming to God. Come to him in his own simple way. And then he says this. It's actually kind of comical as I read it. You shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness not be exposed on it. <laughs> we understand that. I don't want you climbing up steps because you got that robe on. And it's like, ugh, we don't want to see that. And God is saying, uh-uh, I don't want that to be a part of it. But think about it. As I think about it, he's saying, look, we don't need elaborate. Can, can you think of an altar? Can you think of, of any picture that we've seen? We, we see somebody lifted up, and there are steps to get up to that place, right? And, and this is some great, grand picture. He says, I don't need that. I don't need that. Now, when we see in Revelation, we see God, in fact, is high and lifted up. He's all of that already. He's saying, I don't need you to make it something else. I don't need you to act like you're something that you're not. He says, be plain, be simple. God is calling his people in relationship with him to be connected with him. He's saying, I am a jealous God. You belong to me. In fact, he could say with Israel, you belong to me twice. I created you. Every person, every human being has been given life by God, a part of his creation. And he says, you were a slave and I rescued you from slavery and I redeemed you and I paid a price that and I proved myself through that and now I'm calling you into relationship with me he's saying it ain't about you and how decorated and how fancy and how glorious you are it's about me come into relationship with me and he says when you come in relationship with me it's going to affect how you connected with me and how you connected with others as well. It's going to define, your relationship with me is going to define how you treat others, how you look at others, how you live in every part of your life. You belong to me. Your whole life belongs to me. Surrender that to me. The message that we give in Exodus 20. Father, we pray as you speak to our hearts, we'll, re we'll realize how this relationship we are to have with you is by grace, by you extending it to us when we don't deserve it. We were nothing, and yet you redeemed us, you saved us, you brought us out of slavery of sin. And you call us in a relationship with you that you define, not on our terms, but on yours. You call us in relationship to each other in a way that's pleasing to you as you define not to live as we desire but on what you 
command. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to your way and to recognize we don't have the power to live that way, but you give us the strength. You give us of yourself so we can live in obedience to you. So we just need to surrender to you. You give us that power to live you and that, to live for you. And that power is given by your Holy Spirit as we trust in Christ. We realize that he is a sacrifice that paid for our sin, redeemed us, and brought us into relationship with you. He's the manna that fed the people. He's the water from the rock. He's the rock. He's the food that sustained them. He's the pillar of cloud that guided and the pillar of fire that gave direction. So we thank you for who you are. We come to you through Christ. We surrender to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.